We've been in this series. This is part two of that installment today and Lead Like Jesus. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter six. We're gonna head there in just a moment. You have heard this message some way, some form, many different ways. And I just wanna come today and just pull the truths out of the scripture verses. Today, as God leads us and guides us, the lesson of the loaves. And you know, Mark, the gospel of Mark, says even after this miracle, it says Jesus climbed into the boat with him and the wind dropped. They, the disciples, were scared out of their wits, New Living Translation. They hadn't had the sense to learn the lesson of the loaves. Even that miracle had not opened their eyes to see who he was. I just want you to see that today. And the miracle we're talking about is the feeding of the 5,000. And in scripture, you see this. uh, Before Jesus even did this miracle, he shows up, he's going to do it, and he's going to teach his disciples. He is going to teach them some important leadership lessons. And remember that Jesus walked around this earth for, for 33 years, we know as he's preparing, as he's getting ready for the cross, his public ministry, three years he did it out in the open, that he was preparing, he was understanding and, and learning the culture. He had 12 guys with him that he was pouring into, his disciples. And you see this, and everywhere he went, he ministered, but he was teaching and he was leading them. And look at what happens in John chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Jesus soon saw a great crowd of people climbing the hill looking for him. They're they're after Jesus. They're looking for him. Turning to Philip, he asked Philip, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And he was testing Philip. You might want to circle that or underline or highlight it. For he already knew what what he was going to do. We see that it is clear from the beginning that Jesus was using this miracle to teach them and to teach us something as well. And there's some incredible leadership lessons and miracles in this passage. Here's a huge crowd. We know there's 5,000 men up and above that. Who knows? 10 to 20,000 people with women and children. They're watching Jesus teach all day long. People are getting very hungry. And, you know, you can imagine the disciples, you know, are, is Jesus really seeing this for what it is that, hey, people are hungry. And you can imagine the disciples worrying and everybody's getting more hungry. And I'm sure some are getting hangry or whatever that may be. And it's like, hey, Jesus, can can you just kind of cut the bread of life thing and just do your thing right here? And could you stop talking? Can you see this? Now, Jesus was a visionary type thinker. Anybody work for a visionary type thinker in the place? Can I see your hands? Yeah, I mean, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you think, well, you know, these visionary type people, they don't think logistics, right? Well, that's why God's put you in their world. And the disciples, I'm sure as they're thinking, you know, who's going to tell Jesus, man, these, these people are hungry. In the middle of this, Jesus Jesus turns to Philip and says, Philip, where are we going to find enough bread to feed all of these people that are here? The disciples, you know, they don't really understand at this moment, this is going to be one of the most memorable miracles that they were ever exposed to. They're going to learn some great lessons on leadership. There's three that I want to talk about today. That's not all of them, but I'm just going to point out three. Lesson one, you've heard it, the yardstick lesson. Do not measure a problem or challenge according to your own abilities. Don't measure it according just to who you are in your own abilities. That's the wrong measuring stick. If you, if you just measure it according just to who you are, like, hey, I'm here, there's the problem, and there's the challenge. I, you know what? I'm just going to give it a shot. If we just come into that and say, I'm going to take care of this alone, there's going to be a problem. And going to be things that are a whole lot bigger to us. And if we don't lead in that circumstance, nobody is going to lead. 
And that's what I want to encourage you from the outset of this year, that we are called to lead like Jesus. Philip, at that moment, measured it according to his own abilities. He figured out, you know what, I don't have enough ability. Then he did what we all do in those circumstances, he panicked. How many of you ever been there? Wow, we need a miracle and like quick, right? So he panicked. John 6, 7, Philip replied, it would take a small fortune, he said, to feed them. He looks at Jesus and says, what are you talking about? You know, you know, this is crazy. This is an impossible circumstance and scenario that we are a part of. And listen, there's not even a golden arches around to help with this miracle. There's nothing around to really quickly distribute food. And Philip sees it's, it's so impossible, but how many of you know that Jesus always loves impossible circumstances and situations, amen? Uh, you know, that's where Jesus comes and shows and does his best. He's God. Impossible circumstances do not bother Jesus. Not now, not ever. Can you imagine Jesus, you know, some may think, well, he's, you know, he's probably biting on his fingernails, he's pacing. He, no, Jesus loves the impossible. Jesus is the one who healed the woman who had been sick for 12 years. She tried every doctor, nobody could help. He's the one who healed the man who, who had been sick for 38 years. Jesus heals him, an impossible situation. He's the, he, he's, he's the one who healed the guy who had been dead for four days. Remember that story? We see that's pretty impossible. But Jesus healed him because Jesus loves impossible circumstances. He even loves allowing us to be in impossible circumstances. Are you in an impossible circumstance today? You know, Jesus is right there with us. Some of you right now in your family, your marriage, your home, it could be in your business, it could be in your personal life. Some of you, we're talking about leadership. Some of you right now are in an impossible situation as a leader. When I say impossible situation, I'm not talking about what you brought on yourself, and, and God can help in those as well, but I'm talking about circumstances that come into your life that you have no control over. They happen, and it's impossible, and, and, and it doesn't measure up. So you see this. Why does God allow those things to happen? Why? There's a number of reasons as we talk, but there's one in this I want to point out. It provides a perfect test. Let me be very clear on this. When God tests us, it's not to grade us. It is always to grow us. How many of you are with me? Say amen. It's never to come and grade us. It's always to grow us because that's what he's called to do in our lives. Why? Because it impacts our heart. It grows us. And then when we come out the other side of the test, we've learned something and we've grown. You know, how does he grow us? Well, God puts us in impossible situations to stretch our underdeveloped faith. How many of you know he's always there to help stretch our undeveloped faith? He sees it's undeveloped, so he has to immerse us in situations that look impossible. God also puts us in impossible situations to strengthen our eternal hope. Because the longer we live on this earth, all we see is what is in the natural. When he is trying to help us see not only now, but into the eternal. He's stretching us and he's pulling us to say, life is more than just what you see upon this earth. It's what you cannot see about what is to come. Also, God puts us in impossible situations to show us his incredible love because he does love us. He loves us when finally we see God's answer, which is different than the way that we think it should be or go. We see how much he cares about us and loves us in this circumstance. So in light of this, not measuring a problem or challenge according to your own abilities is so vital. So I've got some homework for you to do today and in this week. 
I want you to think about this. Get out a piece of paper and write down on a piece of paper everything that you cannot do about the impossible situation you are in right now. Take a moment and write down what that might be. For instance, some of you might write down, I cannot force another person to change their mind. How, how many of you know that's true? Even God could do that, but he doesn't choose to do that. So you can't force another person to change their mind. Okay, or write down, I cannot rewrite the past. You know, or I cannot always figure out the why and what I'm going through. No, I don't know what the cannots are for you, but you write down on a piece of paper and take that paper out and give it to God and say, God, I need your strength in this area. I'm sure you've written out, I can do, but there's always the cannot that you need God to come. And I don't know about you, but maybe a three-word prayer would help. God, help me. I found out the shortest prayers are the best prayers. How many of you are with me? I have used these in my life. Isn't that true? The shortest prayers are often the best prayers that we pray. I've got circumstances of that, man, growing up where I God, help me in a circumstance. Sometimes it's in the middle of a situation that looks tragic. And all you can do is pray a short prayer. You know, it's amazing how God wants us to connect with him, isn't it? I was reading about a group of engineering students who were given the problem, how long should a three-pound beef roast stay in a 325-degree oven for the center to reach the temperature of 150 degrees? So they had to do this project, all different kinds of things, and they, they were doing it. One kid did this series of experiments. Another kid went out and bought a roast, an oven, a thermometer, and a watch, Another guy got out a spreadsheet, did all these mathematical calculations on the conductivity of roast and figured it all out. But the kid who got the quickest answer was the kid who picked up the phone and called his mom. Mom, how do you cook a roast? <laughs> right? How many of you I'm talking about? I mean, that guy was using his head, right? Right there. Sometimes, often, the answers to the most important and the biggest questions in life are not figured out logically, they're discovered relationally. How many of you are with me? Sometimes it's not always logic. We live in a world full of knowledge, and the most important knowledge to get is the knowledge of the truth of God's word. We know that. There's a deficit of that. But we need to know that they're discovered relationally many times. And one of the things that we value so high around here, amongst the many things, our relationship with God and relationship with one another that is so vital and important to our growth in Christ that we can't do it without those two things. That we want to say, hey, what does a win look like for Abundant Life Church? Last week, we did a Lead Now leadership development training. We had 156 leaders in the gym for lunch, and we just had an amazing time as we're pouring into our leaders here at Abundant Life. And I want to encourage you, some of you maybe have been thinking about leadership, or maybe you've been sitting on your hands for a while here at Abundant Life Church. We want you to know that God has put leadership gifting in you. And we said leadership is one word. It's called influence. Anytime that you are influencing somebody else, you are, you are a leader. That can be good or bad, but God calls us to lead towards righteousness. And so I want to encourage you, what does a win look like for Abundant Life Church? Like somebody that regularly comes, and you call this your church home, well, we've defined the immediate win as this. When a regular attendee brings an unchurched friend who decides to return. I mean, really, that is an immediate win. Like, you say, this is my church, and I'm going to invite somebody back, and then as they come, they return. That's an immediate win. Now, there's a long-term win in that, too, which is called life change. 
Christ-like life change. That is the long-term goal of it. Because how many of you know that takes some time? So I want to encourage you. I want you, if you call this your church home, to invite somebody back with you next week, every week, every service, whether it's kids, youth, whatever it may be, young adults, women's, men's, whatever it may be, that you would invite them back. And then as they come and they return, that's a win that we can celebrate together. Now listen, there's, there's a two-part in this. There's the part that we play that we should ask somebody. We should be praying for somebody that needs the Lord. And then also, there's the part that God plays, and he is the only one that can change people's lives and hearts. So it's a two-part process because that's very biblical, the part you play, and then the part that God plays because he changes lives and he does it the best. Amen? So we have a portion in this, and it's because we're connectedly related. So, you know, we can turn to God. We can turn to each other. But as we turn to God, God, how can I figure this problem out? What am I supposed to do in this impossible scenario? God, how do you cook a roast? I don't know, whatever you think that, that you're saying. I don't measure up, and I, you know what, God, I feel inadequate. Listen, as you come today, and you're a leader, and you feel inadequate, welcome. Because that is leadership you're going to feel inadequate. And if you don't, you probably should, re you should probably question that process in your life because I don't know about you, I feel inadequate every single day as God has called me to lead and to guide and direct. And I know many of you do as well. But we feel inadequate. And so, we, you know, we can either choose control and comfort or we choose to trust in God. We choose it. There's a second lesson, it's the scales. The lesson of the scales. That when you're trying to face and you're going about facing a situation or circumstance, you think, well, maybe that will balance out pretty well. But listen, you think, okay, I'm just going to throw in all I got, but that's five loaves and two fish on the, on the balance on the bubble. You think that's not going to add up to very much because there's 5,000 people out there. So you wonder, well, wait a minute, I don't, I, that's not even going to move the scales in my life, whatever it may be, and it doesn't go anywhere. Jesus helped his disciples deal with that problem too. Here's the answer, little in the hands of Jesus becomes much. If you've been in church any length of time, you've heard this statement over and over again, but it's about as simple, I'm just bringing out simple truths today, little in the hands of Jesus becomes so much more than what we could do on our own. You feel inadequate. That's okay, because with God, you can do it. You see Philip in there. He had this problem. Well, you know, how are we going to do this? This is crazy. This is Andrew, another of his disciples. Man, this seems crazy. We're going to find all this food. And then the scripture says, Andrew comes back, and look what he says. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves, two fish. But what good is that in this huge crowd? So, the thing about Andrew is he should have stopped one sentence earlier. If he had stopped one sentence earlier, he would have been the hero of faith in this story. How many of you are with me? He would have been the disciple who said, Jesus, look, we have five loaves, two fish. You can do it, Jesus. But he didn't. He didn't stop. He goes on and says, but what good is it with this huge crowd? This reminds me of me. Sometimes you'll make this great statement of faith and put a statement behind it. God can do anything if he really wants to. Or I'm not sure, God, if he, are you? We all get in that mode where we want to be people of great faith, and that's what God wants us to be, but sometimes we put statements behind it, and we lessen the value of who Jesus Christ is and what he wants to do, 
right? So Andrew struggles with this thing of faith, and so does Philip. They both struggle, two perspectives, same wrong answer. Philip says, it's impossible. It'll take too much. This is a small fortune. We have too little. We can't meet the need. And only they were looking at themselves in this moment. But Jesus' miracle gives powerful answers to both of these leaders. It would, you know, one saying it would take too much. No need is too great for Jesus Christ right now in your life. You know, well, we have too little. Little in the hands of Jesus Christ becomes much. And as I look at these two guys and the way they struggle in all this, that we struggle with this too. There are two life-challenging questions in the way they responded. And I want you to just write this down, is where do you fall in this? Number one, what have I decided is too big for God to accomplish? I mean, that is a question, one of these disciples, what have I decided is too big for God to accomplish right now in your circumstance, your situation that is unique to you? It's not the same as the person sitting next to you, but why don't you let God decide that one for you, right? Number two, the question from Andrew is, where have I decided I have too little to make a difference? Where have I decided I have too little in my life to make a difference? And as you look at that, you think, man, I don't have what it takes and all of that. But those are challenging questions because often we look at life as there's not enough, right? There's not enough money. There's not enough time in my life. And there's surely not enough energy. So I want you to think about this. Many times we say, when I get more of blank, then I'm going to blank, right? Right? And you fill in the blanks for you. When I get more of this, then I'm going to do this, right? When, when I get more time, then I'm going to lead. When I get more time, I'm going to minister. When I get more energy, I'm going to spend more time with my kids. When I get more money, then I'm going to give like God wants me to give. But, but we have to understand, there's a little secret, this feeling that there's not enough, you'll never have enough in and of yourself. Not for the things that God wants you to accomplish in your lives. The needs are too great for us to handle it on our own. Our resources are too small, but God is more than able and willing to make up the difference and to maximize the abilities he's given to you. Look what he did with these five loaves. Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus ordered them. So all of them, the men alone numbered 5,000, sat down on the grassy slopes, and Jesus took the loaf, gave Thanks to God, passed them out to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate until they were full. What always makes me smile about this story is how the disciples must have felt during Jesus' prayer. Like, could you imagine while Jesus is praying, the multiplication and the increase is in effect at this moment. Why Jesus is blessing it and it looks impossible, they open their eyes and they're like, what in the world just took place? What in the world just happened? This is ridiculous. And there's going to be a riot, they're thinking, before the prayer. There's going to be a sardine riot that's going to happen in just a moment. And these, this is not going to work out. There's going to be problems. And then Jesus starts dividing the bread, and dividing the fish, and all of a sudden, everyone is filled. What an incredible lesson to our lives. They all ate until they were full. So the miracle is simple. It's simple. This lesson is not uncommon in the Bible, though. Because a guy by the name of Gideon in the Old Testament, if 
15,000 in his army. God said, I'm going to cut you down, 300. We have David, five smooth stones to go after the giant. What does God want to accomplish in the miraculous in your life? How does he do it? What does God do to accomplish? Step one, God reduces our resources. More times than not, God will reduce the resources in our lives in the natural when he is about ready to do something miraculous in our lives, which is totally counterintuitive to the world we live in. Like if I could just get more money, if I could just get more energy, but remember he reduced Gideon, he took David, he gave him five stones, one that killed the giant, knocked him over. Then you think five five loaves, two fish. So God always reduces the resources. Second, he maximizes the need. See, it wouldn't be faith if all we just say blindly, okay, I think God's going to do it. God always, he comes out and he brings and he maximizes the needs and he pushes them forward to see this is a huge need in your life. He maximizes the needs so that they're getting out and they're looking at the people eye to eye because why? This is a real need. We need for this to take place. And so what he does, he maximizes our need. Third, then someone trusts God with what little they have in their life. Somebody begins to trust God with what little they have. And then you see this in the case of this little boy. We don't even know his name, but God often works through that. Nameless people in untold stories. The fourth thing that happens is God uses the little that we have to show how great he is. He doesn't discard what we have and do something better, but he uses what we give him to walk into the areas of impossibility. Some of you, you need to know that's where the ordinary starts. Starts in the trusting of who God is. You were talking about leadership, leading like Jesus. And you start, you begin there. And I want to encourage you, lead where you are. You know, listen, don't look for the corner office or the office at the top of the building, but that you would start and lead where God has put you today. You don't try to take somebody else's position. You just lead with loving and caring and kind leadership. You lead with character and, and leadership and integrity and, and righteousness and lead where you at because, listen, God sees you where you are right now, and he is the one that will promote you, right? He's the one that will take you to where you should be. Then there's a third lesson, the ledger sheet. It's sort of, you know, the bottom line. It's what happens when you begin to add things up. And the real bottom line here is every encounter with a problem or challenge can bring an increase. And that's what it does. It shows us in this story, the Bible says, now, Jesus said, gather the leftovers. He, Jesus told his disciples, that's nothing is wasted, that, that there were five barley loaves to start with, but two baskets were filled with the pieces of bread that people did not eat. We understand, you've heard this many times, 12 disciples, 12 baskets. He sends them home with a basket that's completely full to let them know that God is able and God is faithful. You and I are here today because God has been faithful to us. Amen? 
And our baskets had been made full because of the history we have with him. And then Luke 6, 38, give and you will receive. You will be given much, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will spill into your lap. The way you give to others is the way God gave to you. That's the increase. The increase finally comes. And that's a faith challenge and a growth challenge for all of us. And so today I want you to ask, what do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do now in my empowerment? possible circumstance. Now, because you're going to need him to go through it and to shine through and give you a miracle in the midst of your circumstances. You know, many times people think, well, I should grow financially before this happens or in material things. But many times God gives the increase through deeper relationships, through increased faith, and sometimes things that are not tangible to hold on to first. The lesson of the ledger sheet. You know, Mark 6, 51, 52. Jesus climbed to the boat. The wind dropped. They were scared out of their wits. They had not, no sense. They had no sense to learn the lesson of the lows. Even the miracle did not open their eyes to see who he was. You see, inside of this, I love the scriptures because it's real. It's real. Even they went through the miracle and they didn't have the sense to learn the lesson of the lows. That there's a constant learning. You see, that's leadership. You know, um, leaders don't do it 100% right all the time. Isn't that true? You know, it really is. And uh, really is, we talked about last week in our leadership time that really leadership is just managing the disappointments. It's managing the disappointments. Because when you say yes to something, you say no to many other things. When you say yes to God, you say no to other things. You say yes to your family, you're going to say no to other things. You say yes to the priorities of God. You say no to other things. But leaders don't always get it right the first time. But that's just the lesson that we're learning as we go through, as we keep a teachable spirit. What I love is they weren't afraid to admit sometimes as a leader, hey, we don't get it always right. And we should too. That we don't want to miss this, this lesson in the feeding, the lesson of the yardstick, reminding yourself that I don't measure things by my own ability you know, but I measure it by his incredible power. The scales, the fact that little in the hands of Jesus becomes must, much, and then the lesson of the spreadsheet that when I trust God with what might seem to be an impossible circumstance, an impossible challenge, not only does Jesus meet the need, but he brings the increase in our life. That we are called to trust God. Listen, that we should trust God today. Are you trusting him for the miracle? That leftover and leftovers mean God has been so good to you and he deserves all the praise. That all of us understand today, if you go out for lunch and you, you get your lunch and you order it and you eat to your full and there's still some more left on the plate that you ask for the box from the waiter or the waitress and that you take it home. What does that mean? It means you have been satisfied and there's more left over. That is the God that we serve that he deserves all the praise of our life because there's more left over. In every miracle, there's two things you see in the life of Jesus. You learn about how God works and you learn about who Jesus is. You learn about how God works and you learn who Jesus is, the relational connection. But it's example of who Jesus is because if you don't trust who he is, you're not going to trust how he works. Every miracle you see who Jesus is. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Then he feeds 5,000. 
He said, I'm the light of the world. And he made a blind man see. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he raised Lazarus from the dead. It always begins with who Jesus is. Do you know him today? Do you know him today? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? If not, at this moment, you can invite the Savior of the world into your life in this moment. That's why he went and died on the cross for you and for me.